Welcome to Your Torah, a 36-week journey into the world of the 63 books of the Mishnah, 18 minutes at a time. A project of Jofa UK, designed as a special invitation to engage in Torah and make it yours. This episode of Your Torah is dedicated by Meira Weltmarek to her aunt Naomi and uncle Shlomo Meir, who opened their house and hearts to enable her study of Torah. Blessing Shlomo Yisrael Ben Sarah with a complete healing of body and soul. Hi, my name is Meira Weltmarek, and as a teacher of Talmud, the Mishnah holds a special place in my heart. The Mishnah, as short and concise as it may be, holds so much. It is a great example of what is called in Hebrew, Mu'at HaMachazikat HaMerubeh, something small which contains a lot. Growing up in Gush Etzion, I used to commute daily to Jerusalem, driving through the security checkpoint alongside the West Bank Wall. This massive gray concrete, much, much bigger than the Berlin Wall, was built by the Israeli government as a barrier to terrorism. The West Bank Wall separates between people and de facto functions as a border. National borders are gaining popularity in Europe and the US. At the same time, the refugee crisis is growing alongside our human responsibility, even as individuals. What is the purpose of building a wall? Do good fences make good neighbors? Which partitions do you encounter in your daily life? These are some of the questions arising from our Mishnah today, introducing Masechet Bava Batra. Bava Batra is composed of two Aramaic words, Bava, which means gate, and Batra, which means last. It follows Bava Kama, the first gate, and Bava Metzia, the middle gate. Originally, the three bavas formed one long masechet of damages, nezikin, like the name of the seder they belonged to. Over time, they were split into smaller bites, each tractate containing ten chapters. These masechtot are gateways to learning, and due to their analytical nature, are considered classics in the yeshiva curriculum. Bava Batla starts where Bava Metzia left off, the laws of the partners. While Bava Kama and Bava Metzia dealt with criminal matters, Bava Batra focuses on civil law, dealing with a person's responsibilities and rights as the owner of property. Unlike Bava Kama and Bava Metzia, which are based on interpretations of the Torah, Bava Batra consists, according to Maimonides, almost entirely of tradition and legal arguments, none being explicit in the Torah. The Masechet ends by declaring the importance of studying monetary law. Rav Ishmael said, if one wishes to become wise, he should study monetary laws, for there is no deeper subject, for they are like an ever-flowing spring. The Mishnah commentary, Tiferet Yisrael by Rabbi Yisrael Lifshitz, explains there is no other area of Torah law in which the Torah granted the human mind permission to soar with all its might, to investigate, explore, and decide based on one's own understanding. The source for Bava Batal's rabbinic enactments in monetary law and public policy is the understanding of human nature and social life itself. As the opening Mishnah of the tractate says, everything is according to local custom. 
The lack of biblical sources in the tractate isn't accidental. The Magin Mishneh, Rabbi Vidal, in his commentary to Maimonides, explains, It was not appropriate to command details. The commands of the Torah apply in every day and age and in every situation. However, man's qualities and behavior are contingent and change with times and people. Much of the discussion in the Mishnah are assumptions made about the nature of human behavior. How do ordinary people deal with certain situations? What do average people mean when they enter into a certain standard agreement? How does an average person interpret and understand a contract? To see this for yourself, let's quickly glance at each of the ten chapters of Bhava Batra. The first opening chapter talks about the laws concerning property held by joint owners, such as the right to privacy and how to dissolve the partnership and divide the shared property. The second chapter addresses the responsibilities an owner of property has towards his neighbors. To prevent damages such as noise, pollution, and even a bad smell, the Mishnayot discuss zoning laws. Continuing these concerns, the distance between trees, cemeteries, and tanneries to the city is also regulated. The third chapter establishes the principle called in Hebrew chazakah, literally a strong holding. Chazakah legally means a presumption of ownership to one who occupies property for three consecutive years without being contested. The Mishnayot limit the scope of this legal acquisition by right of possession and explain how it works. The fourth chapter discusses laws concerning the purchase and acquisition of property. What is included and not included in the sale of real estate? Does a house include the oven in the courtyard? Or is it literally just the infrastructure? Chapters 5 through 7 continue this theme. Chapter 5 focuses on the sale of movable objects, such as a boat, animals, and meat, and what they include and preclude. A few Mishnayot also address laws based on the biblical value of Asita Hayashal Vehatov, doing what is right and good. For example, handling price fluctuation and how often a storekeeper needs to check and correct the weights and measures he uses. The sixth chapter addresses laws governing sale transactions of produce and fruit for eating and planting. What is the responsibility of the seller and customer after the sale, when the fruit goes bad or the seeds don't grow? Does the quantity or quality deviate from the conditions of the sale enough to get a refund? Additionally, the Mishnayot discussed the standard expected size of burial plots for sale. The seventh chapter deals with laws regarding sale of land, how to measure it, and what types of terrain are included. The 8th and ninth chapters teach us the laws of wills and inheritance. This is one of the few areas in the Masechet, biblically based. What is the order of succession? Who comes first? What to do if there aren't any male heirs, like the biblical story of Tzalafchad's daughters? How to handle simultaneous claims by the widow, heirs, and the creditors? And the legal standing of a deathbed bequest. The tenth closing chapter delves into the requirements concerning the writings of legal documents, such as a get, a writ of divorce, and loans. How is it written? Who can sign it? And in what language? 
and what is the legal standing of an oral agreement? I chose the famous opening Mishnah of Bava Batra because the underlying issues it raises concerning privacy, intimacy, community, and boundaries are especially meaningful today with the rise of social media. Though it may seem living in a global village that technology has overcome distance and time, practically speaking, our physical neighbors have never been so removed and far away. Our lifestyle today is quite different than what it was like during the time of Chazal, our sages. Most houses during Mishnaic times centered around the communal courtyard. The courtyard was used for all sorts of purposes and was the common property of the house owners surrounding it. In the courtyard, one would cook and bake, collect the rainwater, do laundry and store produce. The household donkey, chicken and sheep were kept there too. The Talmud establishes that Hezekriya, meaning damage caused by viewing and invading the privacy of another, is considered damage just like any direct measurable damage. Therefore, as a preventive measure, one can force his neighbor to participate in building a wall. Later commentators add that even if one isn't looking, just the knowledge one can be watched prevents a person from fully utilizing his courtyard, and this is what has a detrimental damaging effect. Our Mishnah deals with two partners who agree to dissolve their partnership and make a partition in a courtyard that they jointly own and until recently shared. The partners who want to make a partition in their courtyard. This is our case. What do they do? The ruling is build the wall in the middle. This means each partner must give an equal portion of land from the courtyard upon which to erect the wall and split the financial costs too. Now the Mishnah will list four types of building stones used to build the wall, depending on local custom. Each stone is sized differently and needs a different space accordingly to be allocated for the wall. Makom livnot gavil, gazit, kefisin, levanim. In a place where the custom is to build using gavil, untrimmed coarse stones that are rough at the edges. In a place where the custom is to build using gazit, hewn stones, cut and smoothed out. In a place where the custom is to build using kefisin, half bricks. And in the place where the custom is to build using levinim, regular full hole bricks. Bonim! So they should build it. The wall must be built with whatever stone is customarily used. The Mishnah now states the general rule about the construction. Hakol kebin hag hamedina. Everything is according to the local custom. Since each type of building stone is differently sized, the width of the wall depends on the type of stone used. The Mishnah lists each type of stone and how much space each partner needs to allocate for building with it the wall. The measurement used is called a tefach, literally a hand breadth, the width of four fingers, the palm of your hand. This is about eight centimeters wide, so each tefach is 3.2 inches. 
בגביר, זה נותן שלושה טפחים, וזה נותן שלושה טפחים. If the wall is made of untrimmed coarse stones, this one supplies from his property three hand breaths, and this one supplies from his property three hand breaths. A wall constructed using untrimmed stones is six tefachim wide, since they protrude and take up more space than a cut human stone. So each partner must provide three tefachim of land for the construction of the wall. Begazit, zenoten tefachim umachza, vezenoten tefachim umechza. If the wall is made of hewn stones, this one supplies from his property two and a half hand breaths, and this one supplies from his property two and a half hand breaths. A wall constructed using hewn stones is five tefachim wide. Each partner must provide two and a half tefachim of land for the construction of the wall. If the wall is made of half bricks, this one supplies from his property two hand breaths, and this one supplies from his property two hand breaths. A wall constructed using half bricks is four tefachim wide. Each partner must provide two tefachim of land for the construction of the wall, one and a half for each half brick, and an extra half for the tefach mortar in between that holds them all together. If the wall is made of whole bricks, this one supplies from his property one and a half hand breaths, and this one supplies from his property one and a half hand breaths. A wall constructed using whole bricks is three tefachim wide. Each partner must provide one and a half tefachim of land for the construction of the wall. Lefichach, im nafal hakotel. Therefore, if the wall falls, hamakom v'ha'avanim shel shnehem. The place and the stones belong to them both. Even if the wall collapses and the stones tumble down on one side only, the place underneath the wall and the stones are to be shared equally. This is because of the underlying principle that both partners were equally obligated and participated in the building of the wall. The place of the wall and the stones belong to both of them. The Mishnah insists that even though the partners dissolve their partnership and split the courtyard to lead separate lives, they are still bound together. By sharing the wall, and building it as partners. This episode of Your Torah is brought to you by Jofa UK, in collaboration with women from around the world who all share a passion for Torah study. If you are enjoying Your Torah, consider sponsoring an episode. Find out more by visiting ukjova.org. Join the conversation on social media using the hashtag your Torah.